So we're doing chapter 2, verse 16 to 19 today. Just a little uh, introduction, because we need to sort of understand this. Human is made up of the physical body, what we see in the mirror. This is called a gross body. Then we have the mind and intellect and vasanas, the stuff you're made up of. This is called a subtle body. And to live in that is the Atman, Brahman, God. Atman is the life force in everything. Without Atman, there would be no life. Only when the body, mind, intellect come in contact with Atman is there an expression of life. Atman is the same in all beings and objects. Atman existed in the past, exists now in the present, and will exist in the future. It is unchanging. Atman existed before you were born, will continue to exist after your death. Atman is eternal. Atman is all-pervading, omnipresent, therefore everywhere. And the, the reason I'm explaining this is because chapter 2, the verses we're covering, talks only about Atman. What is this Atman? What is Brahman? What is God? And the way we're going to explain it today you won't find it anywhere else. What is God? We all have heard the name God in various different ways, but we don't really understand what God is. We don't understand what God is. So, Krishna is trying to convince Arjuna to fulfill his duty, to rise above from his despondent state and fight the Kauravas. That's his duty as a warrior. As I mentioned before, Arjuna did not see Krishna as Lord Krishna, how we know him. He saw him as Mr. Krishna, his friend, who he played with, who he grew up with. He had no idea that Krishna had this knowledge. So in order to get Arjuna to trust him, to surrender to him, Krishna in chapter 2, which we're covering, gives out the highest Vedantic knowledge, 
gives out the highest knowledge to Arjuna, knowing full well that Arjuna will not understand any of it. He's in a deep, sad state. He doesn't understand anything. Some of you may think it is difficult, this chapter, and it is hard to understand, no doubt. You're right. But you also will have an idea of the depth of knowledge contained in the Gita. You too will believe and have confidence that this knowledge can give you the answers to the questions about the purpose of life and how to fulfill it. So this chapter two, even though you may not understand it, you'll be like astounded by what's covered. In fact, in verse 54, Arjuna asks Krishna, what is a self-realized person like? How does he behave? Which is a good question. Arjuna asks a good question. But it is not a question you ask while you're about to start a battle. The army is ready. The arrows are ready. So Krishna knows Arjuna is not mentally ready yet. So he continues with another 18 verses in this chapter. Only when Arjuna says, okay, Krishna, please guide me. Just tell me what I have to do. I surrender to you. Then Krishna knows Arjuna is ready. So the Gita actually starts from chapter three. For all of us. It starts from chapter three for us. It's only from chapter three does it all start to make sense to us. There's a logical order from one chapter to the next. And we can start applying it to our lives. Any questions? Can everyone turn their mics off, please? We have to continue with this highest knowledge, even though we may go over our head, but just understand, this is the depth of this philosophy, depth of this knowledge. So we're gonna start with verse 16. So there's a couple more people joining, we'll just let them join. Okay. So we're going to start with verse 16. Nasato vidyate bavo, nabavo vidyate sataha, ubayorapidristotas, banayostat vadar sibihi. Nasato vidyate bavo. Nabavo vidyate sataha Upayorapidristotas Vanayostat vadarsibihi. The unreal has no existence. The real never ceases to be. The truth about both these indeed has been seen by the seers of truth. Now, this is a, a very deep verse, and we're just going to touch upon it, okay, just 
I'll briefly try and explain it to you so you have some understanding of this first. Any idea what he's saying? Anybody has any idea what he's saying? The unreal has no existence. The real never ceases to be. The death about both these indeed has been seen by the seers of truth. So we live in the unreal world as the sense of everything here mm -hmm. doesn't exist because it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. Only our Atman that mm -hmm. exists before, after. If you connect to your Atman, you'll see both worlds and you realize okay. what, what's out there. And Very, what's good. Very good. So what Krishna is saying is this world is unreal. Only Brahman, God, is real. And men of realization see this truth. They understand this truth. You ask normal people, is God real? Most people say, yes, I think God is real. Well, I don't know. Well, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Ask your own family. You ask the same people, is this world real? Most, 99.999% will say, yes, of course it is. What is wrong with you? Look, I can see the world. I can touch, taste, smell, hear the world. I can't say the same about God. Therefore, I don't believe in God. You have to identify with that. To a certain perspective, they are correct. God is something abstract. Our senses can't identify with God. So this verse is saying people who understand this higher knowledge, this philosophy, they come to understand that this world is unreal and only Brahman is real. The opposite of most common people believe. And the wise who understand this truth, they have risen above the pairs of opposites that make up this world. We said previously this world is made of pairs of opposites. That is the, that's what identifies this world, pairs of opposites. When you understand this truth, you rise above it. That's why when you read about the life of a self-realized person, it's completely different from us. Any, any, any saint's life you read, self-realized person, the Buddha, Krishna, they're wandering alone. No need for anything. No money. They live on arms, sitting in a cave or ashram, one pair of clothes. And they're more content and happy than we are. How can that be? How can that be? They have nothing. Swami Tapavan stayed in the Himalayas, wandering around most of his life, walking around. To us, it seems they're acting strange. We don't understand their behavior. 
They, they think we are strange, think we are mad. And the reason is they have reached a higher state, a different state from us. We're still involved in these pairs of opposites that make up this world, pleasure and pain, wealth and poverty. All these things affect us, attachments, So when you reach that higher state, you see things for what they are. Any questions before we move on with the same verse? So we say this world isn't real. What is there to confirm that? Besides me just saying it or this paragraph just still just saying it well the definition of reality or something that is real is that it must have existed in the past exist in the present and exist in the future that is the definition of reality it has to have existed in the past exist in the present exist in the future if it's the case then that's real When you wake up in the morning, the dream you had last night, was that real or unreal? When you wake up in the morning, you're having a cup of coffee. Whoa, that dream I had yesterday, last night, someone was chasing me in the alleyway. You wake up in the morning, you th the thought comes to your mind. Was it real or unreal? Unreal. Unreal. Who said that? Nilam. From the perspective of the waker, the dream was unreal. Absolutely. Similarly, a person who reaches the fourth state, person who reaches that higher state, self-realization, who understands this world is unreal, it is just another higher state. To him, this world, this waking state is unreal. Just like now, you understand that dream last night was unreal. Similarly, a self-realized person wakes up from the waking state, reaches that state of enlightenment, understands this waking world is also unreal. It's the only way to explain it. This self-realized person knows there is no difference between a dream and this waking state. Now, after this class finishes, please don't get any funny ideas, yeah? Tell your partner you're not real. Do what you want, I don't care. Go to work, your manager, do what you want, I don't care. It's all unreal. You can't live like that. I know what you guys are thinking. Why am I messing about? It's all unreal. Because right now, it is real for you as the waker. You are right now the waker. Any actions you do have consequences right now in the waking world. You cut your finger, you will bleed, you will be in pain. So 
you cannot dismiss this waking world because you are now the waker. We go through three states of consciousness. Right now you're in the waking world as a waker, waking state of consciousness. Last night you were dreaming, you're in a dream state of consciousness. The third one is the deep sleep state where you are neither awake or neither dreaming. You know, when you have that deep sleep, that's the third state of consciousness. And then the fourth state is the state of self-realization. So we are right now in the third state of consciousness, the waking state of consciousness. Just as the dream last night was real for the dreamer, when that person was chasing him in the alleyway or you in the alleyway, he was sweating, he was running, he was scared for his life. It was real for the dreamer. But as a waker, you know it was unreal. Similarly, right now, as the waker, everything that happens is real for you. But this waking world does not stand the definition of reality. Hence, it is unreal. In fact, the, the waking world we experience right now, right now in this class, is neither unreal or real. It's an illusion. This is what they're saying. It's an illusion, illusion maya. Like a mirage in a desert. What is maya? Like a mirage in a desert. You see the mirage. It looks real. But you know, it's not real, it's just desert. Similarly, this waking world is no different. Just an illusion. You may ask, why do you say that? How do you say that? It's real. I'm in it right now. I'm listening to you. The reason it doesn't stand the definition of reality is because when you go to sleep tonight and you go into the dream state and deep sleep state, where is this waking world? It's a deep thought. Where is this waking world for you? Every night, the waking world disappears for you. Therefore, it doesn't stand the time test of reality. As we said, reality is what exists in the past, present, and future. It is internal, it does not change. But you're going through these three states of consciousness. So it's illusion, Maya. So Arjuna, like us, is caught up in this Maya, this illusion. One who has reached the higher state understands this truth. They've gone beyond the world and therefore are unaffected by the pairs of opposites that constitutes the world. See, if you understand this verse, and you really understand this verse, how would you live your life? How would you live your life if you understood this verse? You have to think about it. It won't make sense in just a class. You have to think about this verse. 
You see what I mean about how deep this, this um, verses are in chapter two. Any questions? Besides Sil, any questions in the class? So. So it's only in the Maya that we can come out of the Maya. Mm. Yeah. And the Maya that we're in has consequences. So we get out of the illusion in the whilst we're in the illusion. Yeah. It almost seems impossible. Almost impossible. <laughs> Not impossible, almost impossible. So she's saying we're in this Maya, this illusion. Well, how do you get out of it? Any ideas? How do you get out of it? It's a valid question. If we're all in this illusion, this Maya, how do we get out of it? Everyone's got their hand up. Great. It's 11. Uh, is it because we are attached with our emotions and feelings? Yeah. If we detach our emotions and feeling, then it will be easier to detach. Um, I don't know how to say it, but... I think we're connected through our emotions and feelings. Okay. So the mind is, what you're saying is the mind is attached to the world. Emotions and feelings are in the mind. Yes, yes. The mind is attached to, I'm just concising it. The mind, and, uh, the mind is attached to the world, basically, which is your emotions and your feelings. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So you detach from that and you're saying it makes it easier. Okay. Yeah. That's maybe 30%. You're there. It's part of the factor. Anybody else? Vanita. So you have to come away from, uh, so you basically can't let the pairs of opposites affect your life because that's what causes the distress and the distractions. Mm -hmm. You have to do your job as whoever you are and carry on and not expect anything at the end of it. There's no expectations from what you carry out as your duty. Okay. No expectations from people or anything. You just do what you need to do and not let happiness affect you to the extent where it can change your mindset. And same for the sadness. So how does um, Sheila Ben Renita, how does that help you get out of this illusion? Because you, what you both said is right, but how does it help you? Because nothing affects you, mm -hmm. because your mind is your mind is controlled. Mm -hmm. Okay, if nothing affects you, a person in a coma, nothing affects him. Is he out of the illusion? No. Arunabin. No, he's still thinking. Arunabin. I think is it because we're not creating more desires. The desires we have, we're fulfilling them and we are not creating more karma. And that's the kind of path to um, self-realization in a way. So by being unaffected, do your duty, being unaffected um, and um, not create more desires. 
Great, Musa. Yeah. So you're reducing your desires. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Dipaben. As developing your intellect, gain knowledge, and the knowledge can get you out of this mire. Absolutely. Only knowledge. Knowledge of how to get out. See, if you're in a maze, you know, you go to this park, you go to this maze, and you spend hours trying to get out. If, if you have a map, how easy is it to get out of these mazes? Otherwise, you can be going round and round and round. This knowledge helps you to guide you to how to get out. And one of the ways is that to develop the intellect, which reasons, judges, controls the mind. As Shilabin said, attachment, emotions, which are of the mind, keep you connected to the world. The intellect can help reduce that by controlling the mind. Then, as Vanita said, you detach from everything. You're not affected by the pairs of opposites. You can focus on getting to that goal rather than spending time attached to the world. See, where is your focus right now? Where is your focus? So as you follow this knowledge, see what Sill's actually asking is, okay, how do you get out of this Maya and become self-realized? That's basically what she is asking. That is what she's asking. How do you get out of this? Just as in a dream, how do you wake up from a dream? You're in, someone's chasing you. You're in the jungle or whatever. And uh, a lion, and, so, and, and you're scared, you're lost. A lion starts chasing you. Yeah, you're running for your life. A lion's chasing you in the dream. And suddenly you wake up. You can't handle it. Your mind wakes you up into this waking world. And you wake up and you think, wow, that was scary. Yeah. What was in the dream? The lion. What woke you up? The lion. So what was in the dream, in that, illu in that uh, illusory world, in the dream world? Something in that woke you up into the waking world. Similarly, while we're in this waking world, this knowledge, if you follow it, you follow the guidance, it teaches you how to reduce all your desires, control the mind, meditate, and then reach that state of enlightenment. That state of meditation, which you finally do when you have hardly any desires, transports you. Just like the line transports you from the dream world to the waking world, that last thought transforms you to self-realization. This is what these great sages have said is what happens. And that's what's written on the guide to self-realization. Is that okay? Is there any questions? It's the only way of comparing it because none of us are for, none of us are in that state. We're all in the Maya. We're all in the illusion. We can only talk in the illusion. But this is what people who have left, who have reached that state, have said: "This is how you do it." 
we can only have faith and follow them. Any questions? It's a very deep thought. Maybe in the 18th chapter, we can discuss it. But it is here, it's in the book. Takes you, holds your hand and takes you out if you let it, if you surrender to it. Okay, verse 17. Avinasi tu tadviti yena sarvamidam tatam vinasam vyaya yasyasya nakas chitkartu marhati avinasi tu tadviti yena sarvamidam tatam vinasam avyayasyasya Know indeed that to be indestructible, by which all this is pervaded. None can cause the destruction of this imperishable. I'll repeat. Know indeed that, capital T, to be indestructible, by which all this is pervaded. None can cause the destruction of this imperishable. In these scriptures, whenever they use a capital, it normally means the Atman. That Atman. Self with a capital S means Atman. Oh, sorry. Apologies. Um, yeah. Vanita, you prepared for two weeks and I forgot all about it. Please. <laughs> Sat means real, asat means unreal. The real has no existence. The real exists forever. Men of realization see the truth of sat and asat. Reality is defined as that which exists, existed in the past, which exists in the present, and which will exist in the future. That which exists in all periods of time which is eternal and unchanging. Unreality is that which never exists. For example, the horns of a man. Certain animals have horns, but a man never does. Horns of a man are unreal. The waking world that you experience is neither real nor unreal. You cannot call it real because it is transient fleeting, passing. This world does not last forever. It disappears every night in deep sleep. Also, while dreaming, your dream world replaces your waking world. Therefore, you cannot take this world to be real. Neither can you call it unreal because unreal never exists. The waking world does not exist for the period that you are awake. So, the world that you experience is neither real or unreal. It is maya, mithya, an illusion. Arjun is caught up in this illusion. 
He does not understand the play of the real and unreal. He, he's, he is lost in his ignorance. He is grief-stricken. The wise who have gained the ultimate experience recognize the truth beyond this world. They do not identify with the illusory world. They have gone beyond the realm of pleasure and pain. Thank you, Benita. Any questions on the commentary? Okay, we'll do verse 17. I'll start again. Avinasitu tat vitti yena sarvamidam tatam vinasamavyayasyasya nakaschit kartumarhati avinasitu tat vitti yena sarvamidam tatam vinasamavyayasyasya no, indeed, that to be indestructible, by which all this is pervaded. None can cause the destruction of this imperishable. So whenever, as I said, it says no, indeed, that with a capital T, whenever there's a capital letter, it means the self. It means Atman, Brahman, God. See, imperishable, it's got a capital I. It means Brahman, Atman. When we say the self, it always has a capital S. So this is, so that helps you to understand that uh, translation. So what it's saying is, this reality, God, Atman, which pervades this world is indestructible. It's imperishable. Atman is imperishable. God is imperishable, indestructible. That's all that translation is saying, that verse is saying. Krishna in the earlier verses said, we are not this body, mind, intellect. We are the self. We are Atman, Brahman, God. In the verse we just covered, verse 16, he said, this world and everything in it is unreal. Only God, Brahman, is real. Yes, you're all with me? In this verse, he's saying that this reality, Brahman, God, is indestructible. Nothing can destroy it. You see the sequence of thought. Only Brahman, Atman is real. And now it's saying this Brahman, Atman cannot be destroyed. This world is pervaded by Brahman, God. You may say, what does that mean? What does that mean? This world is pervaded by Brahman, God. Any idea what that means? Anybody? This Atman is the indestructible. Got Nilam? So there's nowhere that Brahman is not. So everything is happening within the field of that. Yeah, very good. It's like saying your dream is pervaded by the mind. Think about it. When you go to sleep, you start dreaming 
whatever dreams you have, all the dreams are pervaded by the mind. No mind, no dreams. Nothing that happens in a dream can affect the mind. Even if the whole dream is destroyed, nothing happens to the mind. The mind is indestructible. All your dreams are pervaded by the mind. Another example given is given in the commentary. Pots are pervaded by. What are pots pervaded by? What are pots made of? Clay. Clay. Pots are pervaded by clay. Every pot, no matter what size, shape, is made of clay. Pots have a beginning and an end, meaning they have a shelf life. After a while, they will break, destroy. But can clay ever be destroyed? We can say clay existed before the pot, during when the pot is there, and when the pot is no more. When the pot is broken, clay will still exist. Clay is indestructible. And so, this world can be destroyed. Worlds come and go, but Brahman, God, is imperishable, indestructible. So you have to give these worldly examples so you have some idea of what it means. This Brahman, Atman, God is indestructible. Nothing that happens in the world can affect Brahman. Any questions? Dharmesh. So, when we die, we say that our intelligence moves on and then that disappears, doesn't it? So, it, but that's not Atman. So, are we perishable then in that sense? Are we perishable? Part of us is perishable. What part is that? Shashi. The body. Body is perishable. Just as the pot is perishable. A body is perishable, but your mind, intellect, your personality, your vastness, that continues. That's not perishable. continues until in in that continues pervaded by Atman. Just like a fish in the ocean dies, new fish is born in that realm of water in the ocean. Similarly, your personality, your mind, intellect, your vastness continues. Atman does not move. It's omnipresent. It's everywhere, as Neelam said. There's nowhere it isn't. So how can it move? Everything happens in the realm of Atman, Brahman. Just as every, everything in a dream happens in the realm of the mind. 
you you die you're born in the in the dream it's all happening in the realm of the dream doesn't affect the dream i mean the mind sorry it doesn't affect the mind is that all right Dermish? clarify if you're not sure 100 percent these verses need thinking deep thinking any other clarifications so he's saying atman brahman god is indestructible imperishable no matter what happens to this world nuclear war the whole world disintegrates it doesn't affect brahman it's like this until verse 30 by the way deep transforms you to another realm Hema. dot means that idem means this that refers to the transcendental reality this refers to the terrestrial world the reality is that which exists eternally in all periods of time. It is permanent, it remains ever the same, imperishable. The world is impermanent, changing, perishable. This world is said to be pervaded by reality. The layman knows reality as God. Brahman, in the Sanskrit language, Brahman is all pervading, omnipresent, it pervades the entire world. The all-pervasiveness of Brahman in the world can be illustrated by the relationship between clay and clay pots. Pots of various forms are made of formless clay. Clay is the integral aspect of pots. The pots have a beginning and an end. The clay, however, existed before the pot and will exist even if the pot is shattered. Similarly, Brahman exists as a substratum of the world. The worlds of the waking dream and deep sleep arise out of Brahman, exist in Brahman and ultimately merge with Brahman. The worlds come and go, they perish, but Brahman is imperishable. Nothing can cause the, the destruction of Brahman. Thank you. Any questions? So we're describing what God is. It's not easy to describe God. It's beyond the world. How can you describe something beyond the world? With our little intelligence, our intelligence is only in the world of the world. And we're trying to understand something beyond the world. It's, that's why it's so difficult. We're not used to thinking in that way. Okay. 18. Antavanta ime deha nitya syokta sharirinaha anasino prameyasya tasmad yud yasvabharata Antavanta ime deha nitya syokta.
ಅನಾಸೀನೋ ಪ್ರಮೇಯ ದೀಸ್ ಇಂಪೋಟೀಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಇಂಪೋಟೆಡ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಇಟರ್ನಲ್ ಇನ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಟಬಲ್ ಇಮೆಜರಬಲ್ ಆರ್ ಸೆಟ್ ಟು ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಎನ್ ಎಂಡ್ ದೇರ್ ಫೈಟ್ ಓ ಭಾರತ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಫರ್ಗೆಟ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಇಸ್ ಟ್ರೈಂಗ್ ಟು encourage arjuna to wake up get out of his slumber and fight so he's giving him all this knowledge to wake him up similarly we may as i said not understand this knowledge fully but it gives us some confidence that the depth of this knowledge as i mentioned so in this verse what is the embodied embodied means the atman the boy these bodies of the embodied so we're talking here physical body and embodied meaning atman so embodied means the atman bodies equals physical bodies what we see in the mirror so simply what krishna is saying to arjuna is that the physical bodies go through birth and death have a beginning and an end but the atman is eternal does not change atman is beyond the world that's all he's saying arjuna fight these bodies they they die and they're born again what are you worried about but atman is unre- atman is indestructible so fight so what does this mean i'll give you an example electricity is one but you connect different bulbs different colored bulbs expression it gives an expression of light a blue bulb gives a blue light white bulb a white light red bulb a red light the bulbs have a beginning and an end when the bulb blows it's the end of that bulb you put in a new bulb but the electricity remains the same electricity is unaffected similarly like the bulb bodies go through birth and death but like the electricity the atman is unaffected is eternal so krishna says to arjuna this is the nature of human bodies it is normal to die it's part of life this is the process of birth and death what are you worried about so if you understand this what is the point of grieving so fight arjuna of course arjuna does not understand that's the problem Any questions? So I was thinking of one, I think. <laughs> She's nodding. <laughs> Let's get on to the next verse before she comes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> go. There is this confusion, isn't there? Because actually, whilst Arjun might understand. Can everyone hear, by the way? there is birth and death and that's part of life he's probably thinking about the consequences of his action for example one would say killing is regarded as being wrong and there will be a consequence for that 
and that's where this is that I mean that is an extreme example but if for example within our action on a daily basis we might understand that there is this cycle of birth and death and it's quite normal but we can all become quite attached and overwhelmed and involved because we we've been given a mind to feel emotions and you know feel that upset and you know with this knowledge understanding the cause and effect if we act in a, in a way that is not correct, we, we might feel that has consequences. So what are you saying? So what, what, whilst we might understand that there is this cycle of birth and death and it's quite normal, it's really difficult when you're in the midst of it all, if you've lost a nearest, dearest one, not to be affected. See, as I said previously, the mind feels, it feels emotions. You can't tell the mind not to feel emotions. That's the nature of the mind. If there's a death in the family, you will feel. You're not, you're not, you're not a stone. It's okay to feel emotions. It's, it's okay to grieve. But the problem is you can't grieve forever. That's why I think in our Hindu culture, you grieve for 12 days or 13 days. That's it. Grieving is over. Get on with your life. Otherwise, you're, you may as well be dead as well. What's the difference? So it's not that... But Arjuna's grieving for something he hasn't even done yet. He's not even killed anyone yet. He's not even started the war. So it's a different situation here. And it's a righteous war. Lord Krishna is telling him to fight. You're a warrior. You need to fight. That's your duty. You see, if a doctor saves people's lives, sometimes he cannot save everyone's life. You can't think, oh, cause and effect. Now what's going to happen to me? I was unable to save this person's life. It's not in his hands. Otherwise, how can he function as a doctor? So it's okay to grieve, but there's a limit. You have to move, carry on. You have to understand your purpose in life. What is my goal in life? What is my role in life? My vasanas are manifesting. Let me fulfill them. Let me eliminate them. Let me do what I need to do. Birth and death will happen. People around me are going to die. People around me are going to be born. This is the process. You understand that and you live your life in that way. Is that okay? Any questions? So you live your life based on the understanding that these things will happen. I will be affected, but I will continue. This knowledge helps me to rise up from that and continue to fulfill my purpose in life, whatever that is. You have a duty as a human being. That's why you're born. Fulfill that purpose. See, um, going, going to the office on the A40, there's a big sign 
on one of the buildings. 1.7 million people died in World War II so that we can have the life we're living right now, the sign said. They gave up their life so that we can live our life the way it is now. They sacrificed their life. They were soldiers. They did their duty. Some many no many soldiers killed other soldiers, other human beings, and are and survived it. You can't say they did wrong by killing. They were fighting a righteous war. Is that okay? Any clarifications? We've got one more verse, but I think I'll stop here because people are, these are really deep verses and I think I can see some fatigueness on people. So we'll stop on this first. So let's read the commentary. Human bodies are manifold and varied, but the self, Atman, within them all is one. Atman functioning through the various bodies causes the variety of human beings. Atman acts in human beings like electricity in different types of light bulbs. Electricity is one, but its manifestations are varied, depending on the variety of bulbs through which it functions. A simple grammatical construction in the verse conveys this idea. The word bodies is plural, while embodied is singular. The embodied refers to the one all-pervading Atman. Bodies to the innumerable equipments through which Atman expresses as individual human beings. The analogy of electricity suggests another striking similarity. Bulbs have a beginning and an end. They burn out after a while. But electricity always exists without change. When bulbs are destroyed, Electricity remains whole and intact. Similarly, human bodies go through the continuous process of birth and death, but Atman goes on forever. Atman does not perish when human bodies perish. The verse describes it, it as eternal, immeasurable, and indestructible. These words indicate its infinite nature. It is eternal in terms of time, immeasurable in terms of space, indestructible in terms of causation. Atman is everlasting, all-pervading, and imperishable. Krishna shows Arjuna, Bharata, the true picture of life, the perishable nature of the human bodies and the eternal being within. With this understanding, how can he grieve? As his highest obligatory duty, a Kshatriya warrior must fight a righteous war when it presents itself. Therefore, Krishna's exhortation to fight. Thank you. Any questions? So Krishna is trying to explain to Arjuna the facts of life, the meaning of life, what God is, what Brahman is, Atman, so that he has an understanding and he fulfills his duty.
Any questions, general questions or anything to do with what we've covered today? Yeah, let me have to wait till the next verse. The, it's, the next verse actually explains the role of Brahman and Atman in our life. But I want to take it fresh because um, it's quite, um, if you understand it, it gives you an idea of how the way you behave and why you behave the way you do. And it's better to take it fresh. So any general questions we can take up? So you have to think about these verses. You have to study these verses, preferably in the morning, first thing in the morning. And then you'll get depth of the knowledge of these verses. You'll be, you know, one verse you can think for half an hour, 45 minutes, one verse. So you go deep into the verse, and that gives you an understanding of the verse. And you may have to do it half a dozen times before you really understand what it actually means. You can't just get it like that. Because we're not, we're not able to think in that way. It's beyond the world, this knowledge. So, any questions? Okay, if no one has any questions, we'll take up group discussion on Tuesday. Anyone who has questions on these verses we've covered. And you know what, don't worry too much if you get it or don't get it. Even the fact that you've been um, listening to it, it will change the way you think. It will make you think about these things, you know? And um, you may not get the depth of it, but eventually you will as we go on. Because everything's broken down from chapter three. Everything's simplified how to act, how to perform the right action. Everything is simplified. Okay, thank you for joining us.